Welcome to the Clear the Shelf podcast with Chris and Chris, the show that meets at the intersection of education and entertainment to discuss online arbitrage, retail arbitrage, wholesale, and all facets of selling on Amazon. We'll bring you news, tactics, strategies, insights, stories, and interviews to help you grow your Amazon business. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Grant and Chris Rasick. What is going on, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Clear the Shelf podcast. As always, my benignant co-host, Chris Rasick, is here, uh, and this week we have a special Halloween-themed episode for you guys. Uh, we promise there are not going to be too many jump scares, uh, but maybe a spooky moment or two during this episode. Uh, this week we're going to be discussing fear and how it impacts your Amazon business uh, Chris came up with this idea, which I really liked, uh, and it's kind of based on what we've both been able to see in Facebook groups and across different social media platforms, uh, and we thought it would just really be appropriate to to discuss this for, for Halloween week. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and, uh, and jump into this week's episode. Oh, and before we get started, uh, please do us a huge solid. Make sure to smash the like button, uh, leave a review or a comment wherever you might be uh, you know, listening to this or, or watching it, uh, because it greatly helps, uh, us get the, the word out about the podcast and, and we appreciate it. So, uh, Chris, what's going on, man? How's, uh, how's your week been? Week has been good. Um, I, I'm certainly ready for Amazon to, to stop this house cleaning. Um, you know, it's, I liked it better when, <laughs> when I didn't hear from them so much, it seems like they've got multiple cleaning projects, uh, uh going on, oh, but, yeah. uh, but in 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 honor of the the Halloween episode, the the clear the shelf spooktacular, if you will, mm-hmm. um, I did find out just this week. So so uh, you know, you asked how my week went. Uh, I did find out what what ghosts have in their nose. Um, of course, they have boogers. Um, so that's uh, I I wrote I made a note in my head. But, um, like, I, that's yeah. That that one's uh, we'll make sure Grant hears that one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but yeah, Amazon has has been busy. Um, got a got a fresh batch of stranded inventory because they mm-hmm. uh, uh, pulled the trigger on the GTIN uh, cleaning project that they're working on. My favorite thing about the GTIN project is how much how much uh, guidance they've given us on on what causes an issue and what doesn't cause an issue. That's been the best, uh, yeah. and. If you didn't hear the sarcasm there, there's been there's been no guidance whatsoever. It just goes directly to stranded. Do not pass go. There is no information. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little frustrating. I had to I had to open a case just to find out what policy. Uh, you know, just it was just some vague, uh, you know, pi- policy violation. So I actually I didn't it didn't register that it might be GTIN, but yeah, I actually had to open a case just to get some information. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine it. This will probably stop. Like I'm guessing November-ish. You know, they'll they'll want to have everything in order. You know, for for the real holiday purchasing of like Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and and then of course the last minute Christmas rush. Uh, so hopefully that's the case. Um, yeah. The other thing, speaking of of spooky things, have you been a victim of IND four 
uh, in any of the items that just go into that black hole, that abyss. No, I'd, I've been lucky to uh, to avoid that. Yeah, good. Yeah, mo I mean, most of my stuff ships to prep centers on the West Coast, so I've been able to avoid most of that as well. If I do ship anything here from Florida, it typically goes to to Charlotte. Uh, so I've been, I've been pretty lucky there, but, uh, I know I've been seeing it all over the place that people are just, you know, I think some guy lost like 138 shoes and, uh, you know, it's been absolutely nuts. Yeah. And then there, there's no easy way to, to recover it, right? All the stories that I'm hearing are, you know, they want receipts for every, you know, itemized list and, and proof of purchase and, and everything. And then once you get all that together, uh, they're not even accepting that. I, I yeah. hear nightmare stories of trying to resolve it. We actually, we, we want the receipts from your suppliers. Uh, you know, where did your suppliers buy their supply? Uh, <laughs> right. Which, you know, is insane. And it's that's nowhere in the terms of service or anything like that. So I'd love to know where the seller support people are even getting that kind of idea that they need to try to get that information. Uh, it's it's crazy. So. It feels like there are some independent thinkers in, in Amazon's customer service department. It certainly seems that way. Yeah. I and I I would I would appreciate a little bit more groupthink uh from those <laughs> right. folks. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yep. yeah. so well let's let's jump into uh, let's jump into the topic for tonight, see if we can scare the pants off a few sellers uh in a few other ways. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I talked to you about the, you know, the idea of it and, um, there's, uh, there are a lot of things, uh, if you let it get away from you, uh, there are a lot of things to be scared of, uh, in this business. And, um, so we want to try to, to root some of these issues in reality and, and make sure the most important thing is, is making sure that, you know, your decisions aren't based on fear, you know, that, that may not be, grounded in reality, essentially, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, a whole bunch of things that, that uh, can be scary about this business, uh, depending on who you talk to and what tribe you're, you're involved in. Um, but let's start with basically being an Amazon seller. Um, and, and I'll explain. When I first started, I, I remember uh, based on the context of everything that I was reading and, and cause my natural tendency is to, to take in as much information as possible. I want to learn mm -hmm. as much uh, about something before I, I jump in. And uh, so through the context of, of reading and, and, you know, Facebook groups and, and, you know, different things that I joined to, to soak up as much content in the beginning, when I was a new seller, it, it felt like your seller account could be suspended at any given time. And for, for no particular reason that that's known to you, it, it, the way they presented it was it, it could happen to anybody and you, you might not even see it coming. Mm -hmm. So there was that, that overwhelming, you know, that, that looming fear uh, that this might be all shut down. Um, and then as I, you know, as I, I sold for a while. And, and as I became a, a, a little more experienced, I noticed it not right away. I kind of looked back on it and realized that I, I didn't think about that as much. So I guess my question to you is, why do you think that that, that fear would be so prevalent uh, 
in the beginning um and and how would you what would you say to to a newer seller that came to you with with an irrational fear like that that's a good question um you know and and you're right it it does seem that quite often uh you'll hear people talk about you know getting suspended or whatever and you know it could happen because jeff bezos has a bad hair day um and now that now that's funny uh you know i think part of it is is the car accident effect uh people people are drawn to to car wrecks you drive by it you're not supposed to slow down you're not supposed to rubberneck uh but immediately that's exactly what everyone does uh, and, and the same goes for, you know, a Facebook group about something like Amazon businesses. Somebody says I was suspended. Here's what I was, here is my take on what I was suspended for, because I find that it's, it's often, it's a version of the truth. And I don't think anyone ever means to, uh, to hold anything back or anything like that. But, uh, whenever someone gets suspended, it's very emotional. I've been slighted, uh, you know, it's not necessarily that I have, I've broken a term or I've done something inappropriate. Uh, it's, this was, you know, no good reason. Uh, Amazon is stupid. Jeff sucks. And that's why I was suspended. Um, so what I like to tell people is that it may feel that way, but number one, you've got to take emotion out of it. 100%. This is. This is business. There is, there is no room for emotion. Uh, you gotta be logical about it. Uh, two, there is typically, there's typically a reason, even if you feel like there wasn't a reason. And I'll, I'll use my suspension last year as an example. Uh, and in this, my suspension was for an associated account to another Amazon seller who their account had been suspended. Uh, now I don't, I don't live with this person. I am friends with this person. Okay. I'm good friends with this person, but I don't live with this person. I don't live in the same state as this person. Uh, we've never logged into each other's accounts. Uh, you know, when I have been at their house, I never used their Wi-Fi uh, on purpose. Um, you know, and, but what I did do is I sent their child a gift from my seller or my buyer account and then their address got pulled into my seller account automatically uh and then i was suspended for breaking amazon's terms of service so i understand why it happened i, I don't particularly i don't necessarily think that was fair but i get it amazon's trying to make sure that people are not uh you know sidestepping the rules of not being able to open up another account after your account's been suspended and i got caught up because enough people try to break those rules that sometimes someone doing things by the book uh, will get caught up in it you know we saw this just last week or the week before with the nike temporary restraining orders legitimate amazon sellers got caught up in those while Nike and Amazon are trying to clean up the platform of counterfeit Nike products. It happens. Uh, and so you've just got to deal with it head on. 
and you know give Amazon what they want, what they need. Yeah, it absolutely sucks, you know, but as long as you're really trying to follow the rules, there's typically a path back to getting your account reinstated. Uh, and that's what, that's what you really need to know. Uh, and it's not, it's not just the Amazon business, you know, uh, bad things happen in, in any business. And I'll use an example for my insurance days. I sold insurance for like 12 years. You've got to carry errors and emissions insurance in case you make a mistake, things like that. Well, I actually, I was actually like fined from the department of insurance one time, uh, because of what I considered negligence on one of my clients parts, their policy canceled. They said they didn't know, uh, but because I was the professional, I was the one who was held responsible even though they got cancellation notices and things like that. Uh, you know, it's just kind of the way it is when, when you're in business, you are the one who is responsible for everything, even sometimes when it's not necessarily your fault and you just got to handle it. Yeah, no, well, that's, uh, yeah. From my previous, uh, career, um, you know, so it basically, you know, and not to be, a corporate apologist, um, you know, or an Amazon apologist, you know, but it's like, think about how you, how you solve something on a wide range basis, you know, like you have to put the policy, would you rather have the policy be over aggressive and, and fold innocent people in on the edges by accident in mm -hmm. an effort to correct the root of the, the problem that you're going after or would you rather be too narrow and let offenders get by because, you know, you're not being comprehensive enough in, in your policy, you know, Absolutely. I mean, you can't have it both ways. And, you know, so there's almost, um, collateral damage, uh, mm -hmm. is, is virtually inevitable. Um, I ran into the same thing when I worked at, uh, at the bank, I was in compliance. Um, and I got that job shortly after the foreclosure crisis, uh, you know, from the mid aughts and, basically what the government did in a, uh, a reactive, uh, you know, um, reaction, they put all this stuff into place and it was a bunch of people who, uh, didn't do the job making the rules, which is always fun. Uh, and then it was written for the big banks, you mm -hmm. know, and they essentially, they looked at what the big banks did and the inefficiencies and, and all the stuff that caused all these issues. And so they made, 900 pages and then a couple of years later 900 more pages so 1800 pages of legislation to to solve this problem and there we were you know a, a community bank trying to put this stuff into place that was written in in the 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 eyes of you know one department and you know ch like take chase i'm not picking on them in particular but like chase bank you know they're you'll have people in different parts of the country who work for the same department you know but then you have you have community banks who it's it's yeah you know it's like three or four people you know and they, right and, and they have to they have to install 1800 pages worth of uh <clears throat> new rules you know that that uh, that are coming after the fact after the damage has been done and that's mm -hmm. that's frustrating yeah absolutely so, and but i'm not sure there's there's an easy solution you know and i mean it's it's yeah. tough one way or the other yeah, it is, you know, and if we, like, I do think that we as sellers do need to think about it from Amazon side, 
uh, and the reason I, the reason I say this, and and I know that we're both you know going to sound like Amazon apologists here, but uh, Amazon has created a platform that is it's pretty trusted. I know that you know the the older it gets, the more cynical people get, and you know things like that, but it really is one of the most trusted platforms on the internet. And because of that, it gives us and, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people, uh, the ability to make, uh, you know, honestly, the, the, there is, there really is no ceiling to how much you can make, but you know, plenty of people can replace jobs and, and things like that with, with it. Uh, and because of that, because they've got to put the customer first, and make sure that you know customers are satisfied, make sure customers are protected, et cetera. There are going to be some times when legitimate good sellers do get caught up in, in something that's not necessarily their fault, but I don't think that's the rule. I, I think that, you know, I think that it's the exception, but there are so many of us that sometimes it can feel like the rule and the people who do get suspended are often very vocal, very loud. I want to make, you know, we saw, I, we saw a lady or a person, uh, a couple weeks ago went and posted in like four different groups because you know, they had just gotten reinstated or something. Uh, and I don't think the whole truth ever really came out from what the suspension was about. Uh, you know, but it, it certainly was not a, a sky is falling moment as it was made out to be. Right. So, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a uh, three sides to every story, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so, well, I think that's enough to qualify for, uh, our shill payments. Um, <laughs> is Andy Jassy, is that direct deposit or, or does Jassy cut a check? I'm, I'm on, I'm getting PayPal payments. So okay. uh, we'll have to, we'll have to work on yours though. Curious choice of platform. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, more fears, uh, more Halloween scary fears. Um, well, this one, uh, this one is fitting for you as a, a creator, a owner of IP Alert. Um, the fear of IP complaints. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, this one, this one is legit. And, and, IP complaints are a, a little bit more of a boogeyman, I think, uh, because you never know what corner this IP complaint boogeyman might be poking around. Uh, you know, and I, I, so this is something I explain to people because I do get messages and emails on a fairly regular basis. Well, how come this brand isn't, isn't in IP alert? Uh, and how come you know, why is this brand in here? And was it a cease and desist or was it an IP complaint? Or, you know, you better give me more information. And, you know, they're mad at me for just trying to protect folks. So uh, for anybody who has IP alert, it is a data point. It should not be kind of the end all be all about whether or not you sell a product. You need to, you know, you need to take a look at your own risk tolerance. Uh, and here's what I can tell you. One, uh, we do try to take brands off of there. And recently we've taken off a couple, one of them being it cosmetics, for example, after talking to a bunch of people and even myself going out and selling a few thousand dollars worth of that brand's products 
and not getting any IP complaints or anything, I said, okay, we can go ahead and pull this down. Well, sure enough, as soon as I pull off that brand, they start back at it. And I, I get a couple of letters from people that, you know, they're filing these, uh, these IP complaints and a couple of people got some, uh, some nasty grams and things like that. I have not added them back yet because I don't have quite enough evidence yet that they're actually going to go after sellers more than, uh, you know, with scary letters. So it's a very, very difficult thing to police. Um, and there are always brands starting and stopping. You know, we know that Starbucks uh, went crazy on people for a, a short time. Walgreens did the same thing, and then they seem to pull back. Uh, so the only thing you can do with IP complaints is, number one, don't be overly scared of them. It's going to happen to you eventually. Uh, two, make sure that you've got all of your your receipts and your invoices and everything in order. Make sure you keep good records about where you got the item so that you can show that it was a legitimate item. It's not counterfeit because that's what most IP complaints are going to be. They're going to be counterfeit IP complaints. Most people are not going to file a trademark IP complaint. Uh, and then the third thing you can do if it, it will help you sleep at night is you can, you know, have have somebody on retainer who can help you with it. You know, whether it's a, a service like Riverbend or if it's uh, an attorney like Jeff Schick or, or, you know, something like that. There are people out there who are professionals who can handle these kinds of things if you don't want to deal with them on your own, but you can deal with most of them uh, with an email or two and just say, you know, it was, uh, it was sent, you know, was sent wrong and, uh, and show that it's, it's accurate, show that the item is authentic and you're usually pretty good. Uh, but I mean, I think that's all you can do with, with IP complaints. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, uh, and, and some, I even, I just read, I talked to somebody today or, or read comments today of, uh, you know, essentially they, they just pinky swore not to sell it again mm -hmm. and, and it was retracted. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, if you, if you just accept accept the fact that it's going to happen, um, but then realize that, that there's there's multiple layers uh, of protection that, that you can you can put on even, you know, when you're sourcing and then even after the fact, like you mentioned, um, you know, with, with services, uh, you know, that can help guide you through it. Yeah. So. Hey, guys, wanted to take a quick second and thank you for listening to the Clear the Shelf podcast. My magnanimous co-host, Chris Rasick, has put together a gift for you for being a listener. It's called the Monthly Goal Tracking Spreadsheet, and it's free. The spreadsheet will help you break down and track how much you've purchased, which should be a leading indicator of how much you will sell. And then you'll be able to track how much you've sold, as well as your estimated monthly profit on a daily basis. This will all feed into the daily averages, so you can sure that you're on track to meet your goals each and every month. Grab it for free today over at cleartheshelf.com forward slash goal dash tracking. Thanks again for being a listener. Now back to the show. All right. Um, all right. So the next one we want to talk about uh, is uh, the fear of customer complaints. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is, uh, you know, fold this into feedback. Um, I think it was part of the reason that uh, that I have never done any merchant fulfilling, um, 
you know, my, my, my thought process in, in, in the beginning was, uh, uh, you know, if it's all fulfilled by Amazon, you know, like let's work at a hundred percent feedback, you know, while I'm just getting started. Uh, mm-hmm. and I've, I've never, uh, I've never rescinded that, <laughs> that thought process, but, uh, and, and I, you know, I talked to people, at, um, you know, it seems like the, the prevailing thought is, you know, if you're going to do your fair share of merchant fulfillment, um, that you're going to get some negative feedback. And, and, you know, just if you, you decide to become an MFer, you know, 100% is not, you know, not feasible anymore. Is mm-hmm. that, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and the only reason, and this, this goes back years, but I've known a couple of really big booksellers. Uh, and I think once booksellers get to a certain size, they they no longer can use FBA, you know, completely. They've got to do merchant fulfilling. Uh, back in the day, part of the part of the reason you did merchant fulfilling is because essentially you'd break even on the book and you'd make money on the shipping. Um, you know, there were a lot of business models like that, but uh, I would come across those folks and I'd be like how are you still selling when you've got like a 78% feedback score? Uh, you know, and a lot of it was because, you know, something was late or, you know, whatever. And you just didn't have that Amazon protection, uh, like you do if you use FBA. Uh, and the, the only customer complaint that I really fear is if they decide to say that something was fake in, in their, you know, bad feedback, uh, because that can often trigger, uh, an inauthentic review of your items. And then you've got to deal with, you know, sending in receipts and showing the items are authentic and, you know, showing your chain of custody and things like that. And that becomes a little bit more of a, an issue. Uh, but other than that, if somebody's upset because the item didn't fit or they're mad because it, you know, the UPS man, uh, dropped it in a bush instead of, you know, on their porch. Uh, those are all pretty easy to get taken care of, uh, with Amazon and get them struck through or maybe even removed. Um, you know, so I, I don't, and the other thing is, is that I think too many people think that they absolutely must have a 100% feedback score or they're never going to get the buy box again. Uh, and that's not, what that's not the case what <laughs> yeah and and i don't know why this myth you know is still around or or keeps going or you know or how much of a weight your feedback score is on on your buy box percentage you know but there are drop shippers out there getting buy boxes and they've got like 65 percent feedback score uh you know so that myth is now officially busted uh, you don't have to have a perfect feedback score. Uh, I mean, yeah, we want to do a good job. We want to keep our nose clean, uh, and things like that. But with enough volume, someone's going to be upset, whether, you know, some Karen is just out for blood one day, uh, you know, or some Chad is mad because, you know, his monster got dented when it was shipped to him. Like, you just can't control the customers 100% and these things are going to happen, but it's definitely not the end of the world. 
You know, reading through as many reviews as I, I just naturally do in, in this business, it's amazing how mad people get over dented packaging. You know, yeah. that, that's, I, I mean, it, it, oh, in, like, I know I'm talking about stuff that like dog food, you know, like, did that, does that somehow, you know, modify the product itself? I mean, is, is Fido, you know, not going to get the nutrients now? Like, <laughs> like so mad that they 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 put fingers to keyboard and and have to share uh, i know it they're they're distressed it, it makes no sense to me so, you know some of these things and it's been so my dad has been a ups hourly employee for like my entire life yeah i mean 36 years 37 years my dad's been a, an hourly employee and so i've known from a very young age how packages get treated uh, and I would imagine that with how much packages are shipped and how many people buy online, that they've got to know how packages get treated. And with the rise of ring doorbells, like, you know that, you know, FedEx throws it from 30 feet away and then, uh, you know, gives it the people's elbow before they go back to the right. truck. Uh, so... But if the if the item is still in good condition, like why 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 go and and give some seller a hard time when they were not the ones who uh, who dropped it off at your home and and you know kicked it through the front door, right? You know I, I uh, I've been working on I haven't actually made it yet, but you know I do uh, meme of the week for uh, for my newsletter, mm -hmm. and I, I I've got this. I've got this meme brewing in my head and have you seen the, the Skeletor ones where he, he gives uncomfortable facts and then he runs away in the second panel, right? Yes. Those are my favorite. <laughs> those, a lot of those are really, really good. So I was thinking of making one for, for an upcoming newsletter, Amazon based one where it's something like, like, okay, if you really want to get technical, you didn't deserve 90% of the good feedback you received either. And then like have them run away. Like, so, you know, because technically that's, you know, I mean, you can get almost anything removed, you know, when it's FBA, mm -hmm. you know, but I mean, if you really look through your feedback, you probably didn't deserve most of those either. <laughs> I, I know that I know that I had nothing to do with how good something tasted that I sold. Uh, <laughs> right. I didn't I didn't cook it. I didn't package it. Uh, I just put it in a box and and sent it off to Amazon and uh, and someone paid a ridiculous amount of money for some crunch berries. Yep. Yeah. I had uh you know I I don't I don't I never even looked up what the product was, but it was it was way too big for her little doggy. Um, and I got negative feedback and it was, it was removed instantly, but you're right. The flip side, if it fit her doggy perfectly, that's really, I can't take credit for that either. Exactly. So, I don't know. So I'll have to polish off that meme and, and, uh, you know, make sure it, it hits as hard as I, I, I know it can. It's got, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> so, all right. So this next one, um, you know, I'm kind of coupling this into, you know, basically your, your selling account itself, you know, and fears mm -hmm. based on that. So, but this last one's going to segue into uh, uh, getting more specific into the fears involved when you're sourcing. Um, and this, this one I I've heard from newer sellers and older sellers alike. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter how much you're seasoned, uh, but the fear of refunds. Uh, now, I, and I heard you say it today. You responded to somebody 
All right. No, it, it was in it was in one of your your memes that you posted, um, and and you, you reassured us that the returns on Halloween costumes really aren't that bad. Uh, however, I I am still I am still reeling from the Halloween costume that I got returned on January 29th of last year. Um, I, I've seethed now for for about ten months straight. So mm -hmm. set, set me straight, please. All right, so fear of refunds. This one, I, I mean, I get this one. You know, you sell something, you've realized your profit, uh, and then all of a sudden someone decides that they are sick and tired of this Halloween costume that their kid puked all their candy into. Uh, <laughs> you know, shouldn't be sitting around their closet anymore, and it, it should get returned to you uh, rather than, you know, just be thrown in the trash. Uh, now Halloween costumes and, and inflatables, things like that. The, the return rate is a bit higher. Uh, someone who is a really seasoned seller said that some brands, uh, he knows get like 30% returns. Um, he specifically called out like adult female costumes get returned uh, a lot more than a lot of other costumes. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know the breakdown, but, uh, they happen. Uh, that is part of being a retailer. And I, I don't think that we should, I don't really don't know if we should call ourselves resellers or maybe we'd have a different image of ourselves. If we, we all talked about ourselves as retailers rather than resellers. Um, I mean, we're doing the same thing target does we're buying from distributors, even if ours look different than targets do. Uh, but refunds are, they're part of the game and it's one of the things that Amazon does to bring customers back to the platform, which brings us sales. Uh, and so you've got to have them kind of baked into your margins. Um, and that's, I, I think that's the, the most important thing is rather than being upset about them, uh, understand on the front end that they're going to happen. Uh, people are allowed to return things. Uh, and bake those kind of things into your margins. Uh, and then the other thing that we should understand is that not every re not every refund is is equal. You know, some refunds like you know that Halloween costume you had to eat that. I mean, there's nothing you could do about it. I'm sure it probably wasn't in sellable condition again. Uh, and if it was, you probably weren't going to hold it for a year until you could sell it again. You know, but a ton of stuff that you get. I, I just had a, I just had a makeup item, uh, returned to me and Amazon said it was not in sellable condition anymore. And I get it back. I signed for the package for this one makeup item, uh, open it up. And sure enough, it's completely fine. Everything's perfect. It's going to be back on a truck to Amazon. Uh, you know, in a little while. And so while I will be out some of the fees for that particular item, uh, and my margins aren't going to be as good as they once were, I'm still going to profit a little bit on that item. Uh, and you're going to be able to do that. I would, I would say on 60 to 70% of your returns. The other thing you should do is just have a plan in place, you know, like, okay, if I get a pair of Nike shoes returned to me, and you know, they're completely different than, uh, what I sent into Amazon. Well, there's a process for getting those switcheroos reimbursed. 
okay? Uh, if they sent you back a shoe that, you know, maybe they wore for a week and so you really can't sell them as new, well, guess what? There's a market for used shoes. Uh, in some cases, you might be able to sell them for more than if they were new, uh, if you know the right sites. Um, you know, so have a plan for your items that get refunded. Uh, and as long as you're coming out ahead on 80% of everything, you're probably going to be okay as long as you've baked that into your margins. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I don't think we, we think about averages enough, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's a similar concept to when we talked about, uh, when, you know, I know we talked about it when we had Dylan on, um, you know, but basically your strategy of when you lower the price, you know, I know we've talked about it, you know, you have a more aggressive, uh, strategy than I do about when you'll move it or when you're willing to move it to a 0% ROI just to move it, you know? So it's, it's a similar concept. You know, you basically you're working on the average and, and this, this actually came up in, in my last mastermind meeting, um, because we were talking about when, because there are some unique situations, especially this time of year, because you've got, you know, we're in Q4, you know, we walk through the door of Q4. So the question is, it, it, it can make you think twice mm -hmm. about certain items, you know, you, you may be willing to, to hold for longer, you know, hoping that, that, you know, sales velocity, you know, uh, gets moving here in, in a little bit, you know, it's certainly a possibility. Um, you know, so you think a little bit longer about some items uh, you know, this time of year, mm -hmm. but you know, there's situations and we, when we were talking about it, you know, I, I think it's too easy for some people to focus on just the one channel or, or the maybe just the remaining units that you have, you know, cause basically the situation, this might help explain it a little bit, but you know, there was a, uh, there was a listing that, that one of the people in my mastermind had, and they, they basically had it all to themselves. Uh, they had the buy box, they sold several units at their ideal profit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it was a test buy. So they went, you know, Ooh, this is great. I'm going to go buy more. So they bought more, sent them in. But by the time the second wave made it in, somebody else had jumped on the listing and marked it for significantly lower. Right. So, so now the question is, okay, do I, do I try to wait this seller out? You know, which has its own perils, you know, because what if that seller also replens? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so there's, there's a couple layers to that decision. But then, you know, but I think the mistake that some people make is, you know, you get so hung up, you're like, oh, I've got, you know, let's just say you, you have five units left, you know, from sending the second wave in. You've sold, you know, you made nice profit, but then these five, you have to decide when and or if do I lower the price, you know, and, and it's easy to just calculate those numbers on those five remaining units without realizing that you made full boat on it on several units beforehand. So, you know, you have to incorporate that number, you know, to get a true, you know, true outlook on your profitability on that ASIN in particular. You know, if you if you yeah. want the realistic, you know, realistic number, you know, I think yeah. it's too easy to forget about the profit that that happened um, earlier. Yeah, I and that's a I think that's an incredible point, you know, because for example, I know that, and especially for newer sellers, it's, oh, okay, I'm going to start this Amazon business and you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a seven figure seller in like, in no time. 
Okay. But well, first of all, slow down, uh, you know, enjoy the process of getting there and, and, you know, make sure that, you know, your fundamentals are right. Uh, but if we do want to have a big business, I think we have to, we have to change our mindsets from being so focused on every little piece of minutia, uh, and, you know, looking at how much profit every single, like, okay, sale number one, you know, I made $2 and 15 cents and sale number two, oh man, I was down to a dollar 97. Uh, you know, I, I think about like buy boxer, they do like $58 million a year in sales. Well, they've shared like what their profits are on, you know, they'll take like 30 different ASINs that they're selling or SKUs and they'll say, okay, well for this SKU, we've sold, you know, 8,000 units over the past year. And our average profit was 75 cents per unit. Uh, and I mean, that's how they think about their entire business. Uh, and when they want to cut a line or bring a line on, they'll say, okay, well, you know, what are kind of the minimums and maximums we think we're going to get from this? Uh, and then if we can sell, if we think we can sell, you know, 5,000 units over this next six months, this is probably about what we'll average in profit. Uh, so, okay. Does it fit our criteria now? Uh, you know, whereas us doing OA or RA, we might say, oh, well, you know, what is this? Am I going to make $7 every single time I sell this? Uh, and, and that kind of will guide our decision rather than could I make between two and $3 and could I sell this, you know, 50 or a hundred times over the next two or three months. And, and then I think that that changes, I mean, that changes how you source. If you start thinking about it in that direction, rather than, you know, trying to focus, you know, so closely. Yeah. Yeah. So don't get stuck in, in one channel or, or looking at one chart or one, one page of your bookkeeping, you know, it's when the refunds go, make sure, you, you know, if you scratch out a little bit of, of money on eBay from the returns, you know, make sure you fold that into your overall view of, of the profitability. So it's, yeah, it's easy to skip that one. So, all right. So, and you, you mentioned changing your sourcing, uh, you know, based on, on that information. So we're, I want to get into, this is boy, man, we can, we can grind over so many, so many little decisions and, and, and so many fears of, of what might happen. Um, there's probably no more influential fear in this business, uh, than when, when you're, you're sourcing scared and, and uh -huh. you're trying to make a decision on whether you're going to pull the trigger and how many units, um, there's a, there's a lot to consider. Um, the first one, I think the obvious one would be, you know, the, the fear of, uh, the, the price tanking. The, uh, the tank lantern, if you will, uh, to, to stick with the theme. Um, how do you, there's so many what ifs and, and we'll key on price tanking, but how do you keep all the what if horrible scenarios that might happen? How do you keep those at bay when you're, you're making a decision on purchasing inventory? That's a, that's a good question. And yeah, I, I've got to quote the, uh, the wise philosopher and hip hop artist, Moneybag Yo, uh, scared money, don't make money. 
you know, so that that's the I think that's kind of a mindset shift that people have to have, uh, especially if you're coming from, you know, I've been an employee all my life, but I really want to kind of have this side hustle or maybe it's something that I really want to turn into a business long term. Um, you cannot invest with scared money. You've got to realize that there is the chance of losing it and you really should never invest more than you could afford to lose. Uh, you know, but in a dynamic marketplace like Amazon, there are going to be times when prices tank. Uh, and one of the things that I always see is, well, you know, if I buy it for this much, how are they selling it for this much? They're obviously losing money. Well, maybe they're taking the pharma packs approach and they're willing to lose money on products, uh, or maybe they're selling gray market goods or liquidated items. And we can never assume what someone else's cost of goods sold are. All right. And so, you know, a, a listing that looks perfect and has never had a price change for, you know, five years can all of a sudden tank because maybe someone is buying it from a place that they really shouldn't be. And they're just getting it super, super cheap. Um, but two, we have so much data available to us that you can make pretty good sourcing decisions and kind of quell your fear of price tanking. Uh, you know, you can look back over 90 days or six months and you can always say, okay, well, this is the lowest price that it has been over the past 90 days or 180 days. Uh, and at this price point at this lowest price point, maybe I would break even, or maybe I'd make, you know, 50 cents or a dollar. Uh, but based on today's prices, I might make $5, uh, and you can kind of hedge your bets there. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is important, and I, and I know that a lot of people are like, no, let's go hard. Let's, you know, let's buy a hundred units on everything we want to sell. And I see a lot of that on Instagram and, and TikTok and stuff. Uh, but I have always been a fan of an inch deep and a mile wide, uh, you know, there, I don't think that there's any reason, uh, personally, when we're doing OA, when we're doing RA to go deep on a product without first testing it a couple of times, uh, and kind of making sure that prices are going to hold and, uh, or, you know, maybe it shows up on, uh, you know, some bolo list somewhere. And, and now you've got 150 sellers, um, but I think really we've got to realize prices are going to fluctuate based on supply and demand. Uh, and once you realize that, you know, you can make a lot better sourcing decisions. Yeah. You know, you know what I think is, uh, is pretty telling, um, assuming, assuming everyone, everyone listening and everyone, everyone here is, is in a, at least an okay place as, mm -hmm. as an Amazon seller, uh, Go back, go into inventory labs, assuming most people have inventory labs or whatever your, your inventory management system is. Um, go into inventory labs and, and, and pull up ASIN profitability mm -hmm. and, and sort it by either ROI or net profit and then click to the, the red part, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, not that it'll make you unhappy if you are a happy seller but you know but just take a look at some of the things that you bought that have done horribly that, that mm -hmm. lost money you know for whatever reason you know 
but then look at it, but look at it, you know, from the point of view of, you know, Hey, you know, things are going pretty well and, and, you know, we're, we're moving right along and, you know, there's no, you know, I'm not on the verge of, of, of quitting this whole thing, you know, but it's a little bit of perspective. If you look at, Hey, you know, I, I've had all these misses, all these bad buys, all these things that just didn't work out. Um, you know, but, but look at it knowing that it's going to happen. It always has happened, you know, to, to a certain percentage, but, but again, I'll, I'll, I'll pull back the last point that I made is, is remember the averages, mm-hmm. you know? And even if you, you know, if you getting back to inventory labs, if you look at the, you know, the first page, it'll show you the, you know, your profit numbers and know that that number is comprised from your good buys and those bad buys, you know, it, it, it all, you know, it's all going to, you know, your average is going to be your average, you know, and, and this is price tanking and, and buying something that does tank. It's just going to be a part of it, you know, yeah. and, and you can't, I mean, unless there's something in the charts, something in the data before you buy it, it, it you know, really shouldn't be that much of an influence on your decision to, to purchase something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and honestly, I don't know. So for me, like, I don't, I don't pay attention to a price fluctuating a little bit until it comes time for me to decide whether or not I need to liquidate an item. Uh, you know, but every now and again, I'll go back through the items that I've sold and I'll just kind of look and see what the price has done. Uh, and it, it's fascinating how malleable prices are on Amazon. Um, I think in, in one day I sold like six units of an item, uh, and not one of them was for the same price. Uh, and the crazy thing is, is not all of them, you know, so like in the beginning of the day, there was something sold for like 2147. Uh, and then the next three were lower prices. Uh, and then, you know, the fourth one was at like $23. So the price had gone up, you know, that, that quickly in a day. So if I average those out, you know, I did, I did all right. You know, I think one of them was like 50 cent profit. Uh, and, but the other ones were three, $4 profit. And I probably averaged out to, you know, two fifty a unit and that's good. That, that's all I needed. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's to realize that that 250, that's where you were going to be, you know, and, and you got to take the good and the bad with it. Yeah. I had, uh, I, I recently talked to a seller that, um, talked themselves out of candy canes already. Um, and just, uh, you know, kind of grinded over the decision and, and, you know, in the first week of October, um, just 86, the idea of candy, like, nope, not going to do it. You know, and, and it was this, manufactured price tanking that, you know, assumed that this person assumed was going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say whether, you know, that's right or wrong. You know, I mean, this person is a, is a good seller and doing well. Um, but I'm not sure you can make that decision that early, you know, and it's kind of that, that's kind of the point, you know, you, you, it's a whole bunch of what ifs and, and it's a whole bunch of things, uh, that you've manufactured, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure I like the idea of making decisions based on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and then there's a couple of things that like you didn't even mention, you know, like, okay, well, if I, if I were to buy those items now, uh, and you know, that's a, a good seasonal example, 
So we know that chances are the supply is going to run up, uh, but demand is also going to run up. So maybe that holds some price parity for us. But then, of course, demand is going to trickle off and the supply is also going to dwindle. Uh, you know, and what happens then? Well, a lot of times the price ends up rebounding because I, I don't know, I'm not a person who buys candy canes all year round. But there are apparently a ton of people who do. <laughs> there are, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, I th you know, the point is that the, you know the landscape of the candy cane market on Amazon is impossible to know at this point. You know, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's not even close to revealing itself. So, yeah. So don't don't give up on candy canes if you're out there listening. You know. <laughs> All right. So uh, another one, um, you know, you hear this in, in especially in private label sellers, uh, uh, you know, listings getting hijacked. And, and you know, I, I've heard, uh, you know, even FBA sellers, too. You know, you wake up and, and all of a sudden somebody overnight while you're sleeping changed it from a single unit to a three pack. Mm -hmm. So how do you get over the fear of the, the lawlessness that is uh, uh, listing edits? Yeah, this, you know, this one's a tough one. There's, there's nothing you can do, you know, and then, then you try to go and fix it. And it, uh, that's a headache in itself. If you can even get it fixed and you show it to, uh, you know, the catalog team and they're like, well, we need proof that it was changed. And, and you're like, come on, you, you can't see the edit history and, you know, on, on your end, we've got to prove it to you. Uh, and so it's, it's an incredibly frustrating cycle. Uh, I'll tell you what I do. I, I use a service so that I get alerts if a listing gets changed, uh, because I don't want to, you know, wake up, especially on a fast moving product where maybe I've sold 20 or 30 of something. Uh, and then all of a sudden I know that every single one of those is going to get refunded. Um, so worst case scenario you're going to have to eat some refunds. That's just the way it is. Uh, best case scenario, you can pick up on those changes, uh, you know, pretty quickly. And maybe you can strand your inventory until the listing gets repaired, or you can pull your items and put them back on, on another listing that, uh, or create a new listing, whatever you have to do. Uh, but again, this is one of those like, well, what if, you know, things that I think we just use to keep ourselves from moving forward. Uh, you know, there, there are so many, what, if, you know, what if uh, it just happens. So my biggest, my biggest thing is here, you're not going to be able to look at every single one of your listings every single day. I mean, unless you've got like five, you know, but if you've got 50 or a hundred, you just don't have time to go through every single one of those. So get yourself a piece of software that watches them for you. Um, I'm trying to, I, I think it might be $19 a month or something like that. Uh, you know, it's fairly inexpensive uh, and it protects you in case something like this happens. Yeah, that's uh, you know, that that's a good point. And that's the, you know, we've, we've repeated that a few times, you know, it, it's, if you're if you're so scared of it happening that it's going to alter the decisions that you make, make sure you've done your due diligence and and find out if there's a solution in case it does. You know, I mean that that may help you 
you know, sleep at night or, or you know, make the decision that you, that you're grinding over. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, uh, and then you know, one, one a final part on uh, uh, specifically on the sourcing side of it. Um, and there's no, there's certainly no one size fits all answer to this. Um, you know, but uh, a lot of people have uh, not only different opinions, but uh, the fear of actually spending the money on inventory, you mm-hmm. know, of potentially, uh, you know, shelling out the actual bucks, whether it be, um, you know, trying to, to, you know, whether it be, you know, opening up credit cards and carrying in debt, um, which, which some people do and, and like to leverage. Um, I am in that camp. And then, you know, or there are other people who, you know, are more like uh, maybe a, a Dave Ramsey model who believe uh, in carrying no debt, uh, paying everything in cash, which I don't think those people actually exist. There's no way that, you know, a bunch of nerds. How do you do that? Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but there, there are people who, who don't believe, you know, you pay everything off at the end and, and you know, personally, I think it's un-American, but, uh, you know, how do you, uh, how do you, uh, ease the fears of, of actually, uh, spe- opening the wallet? Yeah, this, this is a tough one. Uh, you know, and I think especially for people who are kind of used to that employee mindset, uh, you know, and, and things like that, uh, it's tough, but <clears throat> So I, too, am a fan of credit cards. I think that other people's money is is one of the best ways to be able to to make more money. I mean, we essentially get we get we essentially get a 30 day, you know, zero interest loan if we do pay our credit card off uh, to be able to sell products and, you know, make a a 10 or 20 or 30 percent ROI. And really, if you think about it, if you are actually not paying any interest on credit cards and you're selling something at a 30% ROI, your ROI is actually infinite. It's not just that 30% because you've really got no money out of your pocket. Now you're on the hook for it, you know, so if things go south, you know, it's not like you can just wash your hands of it and walk away. Um, and this is, this is dangerously close to public math also. It is, it is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to how to tell people to kind of get over that fear or how to properly walk them through the, uh, you know, if you want to start a business, there is going to be some level of risk. Doesn't matter if you're starting a business on Amazon or you're starting, you know, some sort of service business uh, in your local neighborhood, there is going to be a level of risk, period. Uh, so you've got to decide what level of risk are, are you comfortable with? Um, and I would, I would go back and say, listen, if someone says that they, they have zero risk tolerance, but they also have a job, well, you, you do have a risk tolerance because you risk that you're going to get fired, uh, or downsized, you know, every single day. Uh, and then you have no backup, you know, there's no side hustle. There's, you know, no exit strategy or anything like that. Uh, so our risks are really just different. Mine is, is that I've got some money on a credit card. Uh, now I've gotten to the point where I 95% of the time have enough cash to cover as much as I'm going to spend on inventory. 
you know, but that wasn't always the case. And I was a, I was a little bit more fast and loose, uh, with the credit card payments than I am nowadays. Uh, you know, but I think the biggest thing is, is decide how much you're willing to put at stake, uh, and just start there. And it's okay if that's a hundred dollars or $500 or maybe it's $10,000, you know, whatever your risk tolerance is. Uh, but you know, start somewhere and verify that the method works and that you can figure it out and, and you know what's going on and, uh, and you're going to at least break even. Uh, and then once you've done that, you can go a little bit bigger and start to scale and, and things like that. Yeah. You know, like you, you know, you, you like to say is, uh, you know, the, this business allows you to make a series of small bets, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and that, goes hand in hand with, with going an, an inch deep and a mile wide, you know, it, it's, I think the main thing that, that you need to keep in mind is, uh, you know, try to maintain perspective, you know, it, it is, you know, the decision that you're going to make or the amount of inventory that you're going to buy, you know, make sure you ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? You know, because if you're, you know, if you're, you're doing test buys and you're being smart about it, how much are you going to lose total, you know, and, and is that amount devastating, you know, at, at, at your current situation? Uh, hopefully not. Don't, you know, I would, I'd try to, you know, advise you not to make decisions that, that if they fail would, would be devastating. Um, you know, but then, and then this whole process, thinking about all the to topics that we've covered so far, I think you also have to ask yourself that what's the worst that has happened, you know, like, like, not not harping on. I'm not picking on your the the candy cane seller, but how much have you lost selling candy canes in previous years? You know, the, this isn't this person's first Q4, but you know, like how how much of a bath have you taken on on you know the the sweet little sickles? You know, not much. I'm guessing. You know, I yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think that's the perspective uh, you know that can help guide a lot of these decisions too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really important. If you can't if you can't live with your answer to what's the worst that can happen, then it's probably not the right thing for you. And yeah, I don't know. That I what I find happens, which kind of I think sums up kind of all of these things, is what I find is people is they want some certainty before they buy something before they start selling on Amazon, uh, you know, or, or start any business for that matter. And, and we've, I know we've talked about this before, but it doesn't matter what business you're in. There is always going to be a level of uncertainty, uh, you know, when, when you're the chief cook and bottle washer, uh, you know, it, it's just the way it is, unfortunately. Uh, and, you know, when we're working a regular job or we're working a nine to five, we may not feel that uncertainty, uh, but it's still there. You know, it's just manifested in other ways, uh, you know, like getting downsized, getting let go or, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, so the risks just look a little bit different. So I don't know. I think I think that's the that's kind of what helped me get over uh, the, you know, get over the whole fear of having my own thing, uh, is that I under I finally was shown while I was working a nine to five that, 
you know, I didn't actually have control of the future. Uh, someone else did. And that was just as bad as there being some uncertainty of me owning my own business. So I went owning my own business as the preferred route. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this, uh, you know, as prevalent as, as side hustles is have become and, and, you know, making money online or however you want to, you know, kind of summarize it and categorize it, you know, it, it's, I think not to get borderline woo woo about this, but, you know, even if you're working a nine to five, you're investing something, you know, whether it be, you, you know, your time away from your family, away from your home or, you know, but if you, if you really boil it down, you are investing something you know, just like you are in, in this business, you know, it, it's whether it be time and a commute with a nine to five or whether it be, you know, your, your hard earned dollars that, that you're, you're putting at risk, you know, buying some inventory in this business, mm-hmm. you know, but it, you know, you, you kind of get to, you know, there's a whole lot of positives that go along with it. So um, I think it's important to not let uh, these fears kind of steamroll, you know, and kind of snowball. Uh, and there is uh, there's one last uh, uh, fear on my list uh, that I want your take on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was, I don't know if I was reading it or listening to a seller, and, but basically this person mentioned something about, and, and they, they rattled off a list of tools and I know inventory labs was one and uh, a repricer was another. And, but then they made a comment and they said something like, I'm just so overwhelmed because I have to do all this manual stuff. And it, it struck me as a contradiction because the list of tools that this person listed right before that statement were all things that are designed to help kind of automate the process and, and, you know, make things not as manual, you know, mm-hmm. so you can free up your time to do other things. But then the statement that this person made was, was completely the opposite. So uh, there may be issues of not getting the most out of, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the, the tools that this person's invested in. But also I think the bigger issue, the more common issue uh, is there's a fear of delegation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I've, I've heard sellers too, that, that hire a VA, but then keep the leash so tight. Essentially they don't let their VA do anything close to what they hired that person to do. So in general, the, we'll call it the fear of delegation. Like how do you get over that? Especially because, you know, this one's probably becomes more prevalent the, the the more seasoned you are as a seller because you're gonna you're gonna need more things delegated the bigger you are. So you know, how do you? It, it seems to me that'd be pretty important to manage that fear. Yeah, you know, this one this one kind of hits close to home because I still have this issue, uh, and and I think it. Well, I don't think I know that it probably uh it's probably a serious weight around the neck of the growth in in our business um i think the biggest thing is is you have to realize that it's impossible to to clone yourself and let's just you know for the sake of this argument let's just say that you are you're a perfect business owner you're, you're, you're smart. You know how to do the books perfectly. You know how to, you know, source perfectly. You know how to manage inventory perfectly. Um, unfortunately it's impossible to create another one of you. So 
You've just got to realize that if someone can do 80% of what you can do, that's, that's good enough. All right. And, uh, you know, done is better than perfect because if you're not going to get it done, uh, you know, then having it done by someone else, even if it's not perfect is, is going to be better. Uh, and this I mean, this goes for everything. If, if a repricer can handle your repricing fairly good, uh, you know, but it can do it a ton faster and also save you an hour or an hour and a half per day. Well, what are you getting back from that? It, you know, it's, it's a ton of time. It's a ton of worry. It's a ton of thought. Uh, and you can all kind of program that into a software. Uh, if you have a VA source for you and okay, so if I source for, I don't know, two hours, I would say that I could probably find eight to 12 pretty good leads. Well, maybe it takes a VA eight hours to get eight to 12 pretty good leads. Maybe your hit rate on those is only 60%. Well, if you think about it that way, then you're like, oh, well, I could have done that myself in two or three hours. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't sound good. But the thing is, is you've now done this with zero of your time. So it's actually a heck of a lot better because you were working on other things, or maybe you were, you know, opening up wholesale accounts, or maybe you were fixing your repricer. So it works, you know, 10% better, uh, you know, so one, I think you need to realize that you're never going to be able to clone yourself, but two, uh, also think about what you're going to gain in time, uh, and where will that propel you when you've got the time to think, when you've got the time to work on, you know, these outstanding projects you want to get done. Uh, and so what is that upside that you're missing by not delegating? Yeah. You know, I, uh, <laughs> I find since I, I started doing this and, and I became self-employed, um, not only did I, I learn that I'm a, a terrible employee, um, but I'm also not a very good boss either. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> luckily, you know, company one, but, uh, you know, it, 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 this reminds me of, uh, the, the, the point that Jeff Hayden made in, uh, the motivation myth, um, which, if you haven't read that book, it, it's fantastic. Um, we mentioned Atomic Habits all the time, but this is, it, it's a much closer second than uh, the mentions would indicate for me uh, mm -hmm. as far as favorite books. Uh, but he makes that great point about the editor of, I, I believe it was the, the New Yorker. Um, and he said that, that this editor uh, was probably the greatest writer, most talented writer that, that he had ever met. Uh, and, but yet it was his job to approve pieces for the magazine right mm -hmm. so if, if you really think about it this guy's job was to look at edit suggest uh revisions and whatnot but he was basically managing a bunch of people that couldn't do the job as well as he could but in the end he you know he gave whatever constructive criticism but in the end he rubber stamped it and approved it to actually be published and, and distributed across the country. So, so essentially he had to knowingly release into the public, uh, inferior work. Mm -hmm. 
based on, you know, if we're looking at it from based on what he could do. So, and uh, you know, I remember that that hit so hard with me and it, you know, it really put my uh, my own micromanaging uh, tendencies in check, you know, and it's like, yes, yeah, boy, that's a, that's a really good point. You know, I, you have to realize, you know, that, that, you know, you're right. You can't clone yourself. And, and, you know, even if you're the greatest trainer in the world, um, you know, you may struggle to, to even get somebody close to a hundred percent of what you can do if it's even possible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it is possible. Yeah. That, that story that you, that story you brought up is also hits close to home. Uh, Writing blog posts is one of the things that I've actually done okay with uh, at outsourcing and, and delegating to someone. Uh, and they're, they're a great writer, uh, but I know infinitely more than they do about Amazon. They, they do know Amazon, but uh, you know I've forgotten more than they know about selling on Amazon. Uh, and, and I'm not, you know, knocking them or anything like that. He's a really good, good person, really like him. Uh, but here's the thing. I'm now getting blog posts up on the site on a regular basis. Whereas before, even though I've got all the stuff in my head, I was not getting it onto paper. Uh, and so, you know, I'll go in and I'll edit it and I'll make some revisions here and there and, you know, maybe fix a mistake or two. Uh, but now I've actually got the content going up and, you know, even though it may not be as good as I could do, well, all of the things that come from having that content, uh, you know, we're seeing go in the right direction. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing page views go up, you know, we're seeing emails go up. Uh, so everything is moving up and to the right, uh, which is the important part. Uh, and those things wouldn't be happening if I wasn't willing to delegate. Exactly. Like the, what's the, the one quote, two hours of doing something is, is doing something poorly is better than, you know, two weeks of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. you know, it it's, it's easy to just dismiss done is better than perfect as, you know, just some simple little, you know, cliche quote, but mm -hmm. it's so, so true. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, Alex Hormozzi, uh, who, and you, you may not, I know you know who he is, but you know, you guys listening may not know who he is, but you know, he talks about, you know, uh, he, he summarizes done is better than perfect by taking swings. Uh, and he's like, you know, if he's like, you can, you can take 100 swings and maybe only one of them connects. Uh, you know, but it's more likely that you're going to knock that one out of the park because, you know, you've done so many of the other swings. Uh, and he says it much more eloquently than I, I ever will. But, uh, yeah, another good follow on Twitter. If you happen to be over there. Yeah. So that's, uh, that, that's the list of, uh, of frights that I came up with. So, yeah. If the if the listeners have anything else, make it, shoot them in the comments. We can we can talk more. This was fun. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this is a good one. You know, um, I guess a couple of things I would I would mention before we we end the show is is one there are a lot of places that you can go that will absolutely freak you out about selling on Amazon. If 
you know, this is an avenue that you either want to explore. And one of those is going to be Reddit. Uh, <laughs> the other one is going to be the seller forums. I would highly suggest you try not to spend a, a ton of time in those places. Terrifying uh, places. It really are. Uh, you know, find some good Facebook groups, find some people that you like on Instagram or Twitter, uh, you know, and, and reach out and talk to people, uh, you know, and kind of, you know, get everyone's truth uh, rather than just the fear mongering that goes on over on, on Reddit and the seller forums. Uh, or, you know, like there are some suspension groups on Amazon that will just keep you up at night if you read too many of the posts. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah. Uh, Chris, what is the, uh, what's the quote of the week this week? Uh, we, we found a, a fitting one. It's, uh, it's one of our favorites novel Ravikant. Um, he says uncertainty, not outcome is the root of stress. And boy, is that 100% true, right? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's it's unfortunate because so much in life and business, you know, is uncertain, uh, you know, and it's now our job as entrepreneurs to be able to handle that uh, and kind of have uh, uh, what did uh, what did Marcus Aurelius call them? Uh, I believe he called them ivory shoulders uh, to be able to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a great quote. All right, that's uh, that's it for, for us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Clear the Shelf with Chris and Chris. Uh, and we'll be back um, next week again. Uh, if you guys have any ideas or topics that you'd love to have covered, uh, our inboxes are always open. Our social media is down below. You can reach out to either one of us. Uh, if this was helpful, please share it. Uh, take a screenshot and uh, share it in a Facebook group or on your social media tag us. We'd love to see it. And, uh, and thank you for being willing to share this and, uh, hopefully this was helpful for you guys. So until next week, uh, thanks for hanging out, Chris. And, uh, thank you guys for listening. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening to clear the shelf with Chris and Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and share to Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite FBA group. And be sure to tag me and let me know why you liked it and what you'd like to hear more from us in the future. Also, I'd like to give you some free gifts for listening. Head over to rabbittrailchallenge.com and repricerchallenge.com for some free courses to further your business. Thanks for listening.